Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Dre, it seems like we're actually having news every time we do one of these now after an offseason of nothing has start this. How are you? This went from nothing, like tumbleweeds going across the, the desert, to all of a sudden a flurry of activity right after. It seems like right, right when the calendar turned to 2023, it's like the Marlins woke up and said, oh, the season's coming up. Let's do stuff. Yeah, and again, the latest move is arguably the biggest of the moves they made so far. On Friday, they acquired – uh, infielder Luis Arais, the reigning American League batting league cha- batting av- batting title champion from the Minnesota Twins, it cost them a decent amount to get him. They had to trade right-handed pitcher Pablo Lopez and a couple prospects. Pr- the biggest one of those two being infielder Jose Salas, who's ranked consistently among the top five in the Marlins org to get Arais. But the trade that, at the end of the day, needed to be made. I mean, Pablo Lopez long-term probably wasn't going to be in the grand scheme of everything for the Marlins as one of their top five in the rotation. His stock probably isn't going to get any higher than it is right now coming off of his first season where he actually pitched every single game that he was scheduled to pitch. And knowing that he does still have that shoulder injury history in the past, you don't know if the stock's going to rise or if it's going to regress back to the mean. And the Marlins still need offense. They still need that extra bat. And, to get a guy who hit 316 and is a career 300 hitter over his first four years, yeah, that's to me a pretty good trade for in the Mar- for the Marlins to have to swing here. Well, we, we we've talked a ton about the dimensions of that ballpark at home and how difficult it becomes for for power hitters. And what were they for all these last few years? They they stocked up on power, and that didn't work, you know. And, and we've seen. Some guys do well here and there in spots, but I mean, look at last year when the two guys that kind of fit this format, like, you know, like a John Birdie, Jazz Chisholm went down, the lineup went in the toilet pretty much. That's just plain out saying. And they were awful for major stretches of the season that not only sunk their chances to contend, but also kind of just made them unwatchable at times. I mean, this team was not scoring. I mean, remember the shutout streak for a while and stuff like that. So, I mean, I kind of, you know, I'm not saying this is like the end-all cure-all, but I like the sense of it seems a little more of a philosophical change to kind of balance it better. You know, we're going to talk a little bit more, dive into not just uh, Arias, but also like Gene Segura and guys like that who bring more of a contact approach, at least at home. I think that's a must because you've got to get, they're going to have to do it that way. You know, they don't have the walloping Aaron Judge type bats, you know, that, you know, not that everybody has Aaron Judge, but teams like that they're going to face in their division have a few more of those like more reliable power bats playing in those hitter, more hitter friendly parts. That's not their case. So they're going to have to do it in a different way. And I like this last move in particular for the reasons you said, but also you get a guy who is still, you know, really young. and and be a contributor for a while if you lock him in for a while. And obviously that's the question that remains, are how you know how long would he go? But I, I definitely like it because it seemed like up to right now, I mean, other than maybe the Segura move, they brought in guys like Cueto and others that had question marks, you know, whether it's injuries, whether it's their age, you know, stuff like that. They still thinking about getting Yuli Guriel, who's 39, but arises in his prime. And, you know, 
he got one batting title and, and yeah, 316. If you go back to 10 years ago, you'd laugh at, oh, she, no, the way baseball is now, the way batting averages are down, 316 was still pretty good. It's more about just the way you can consistently hit, get on base. Because again, it goes back to my original point. When guys that set the table for those bigger hitters went down, it was catastrophic for those lineups. So now they have a few of those guys that may not have to rely on one or two. Yeah, no, I still remember writing that story back in, I think it was early September, basically looking at when Jazz and Soler both went down at the end of June when they lost their top two home run hitters and two of their top three RBI producers. The offense went from middle of the pack, even though it didn't feel like it that first half of the season, they were still anywhere between 12th and 17th, depending on what stats you looked at between OPS, runs per game, et cetera. And then they just completely bottomed out once they lost those two guys. They had nobody else. Their offense over the end of last year, 230 batting average, fourth worst in baseball, 294 OBP, fourth worst in baseball, 363 slugging, third worst, 24% strikeout rate, fifth highest without the power aspect to justify the higher strikeout rate, 7.3% walk rate, fourth worst in baseball. Uh, Their WRC plus was an 88, 100 is league average. They were the sixth worst in baseball there. So getting these guys like Arais, who is under team control for three more years. So at minimum, they have him through the 2025 season, barring an extension or ending up doing what the Marlins tend to do is and trade guys toward the end. They don't want to extend them. They have him for those three years. Uh, Segura, they have for, they signed for two years with a club option. And then that contact centric balance to the lineup, it goes beyond them. You look at, the prospects they've been acquiring over going back to the trade deadline. Jordan Groshans fits that profile. Jacob Amaya, who they got in the Miguel Rojas trade with the Dodgers, he fits that profile. So if you have these guys who you're able to stock up on and then hope that, and again, that's the big thing. You have to look at the health factor with Jazz Soler, Avzel Garcia trying to bounce back. If you can get, even if it's not 100% of what their potential is, if you can get even 75% of the potential from those guys. And then Garrett Cooper as well, have to factor him in as well. Those guys who have the power potential in addition to the guys who have a career, who have the career and have the the background of being steady producers, that could make them potentially a sneaky, under-the-radar productive offense, which, again, they're going to need that to be at least semi-productive considering the NL East and just do enough to back up that starting rotation. Right. You can't have all slap hitters. You can't right. have all guys like that either, because then you're still going to score two runs a game, just the other way, the lesser, yeah. you know, the, the stringing together way. But it's, it's just about balance. And like you said, I, that, that, to me, the philosophical chain is interesting. I'm just going to say interesting. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's not going to work, but you know what, what, what has, what's the, what they've tried before has not worked. That's a fact, at least yeah. in overall terms. So why not try something different? Why not try to do that? So I give them credit, at least for that, going in a different direction. And I like the kids that you just mentioned because, yeah, they're all fitting that mold. Now, as far as the power bats go, I think that would be the next thing to address in the coming weeks, coming months, maybe even beyond the season, is to get maybe better power bats than they've had in recent years to kind of look. Because at least now – you seem to be like you're saying, like a rise could be here three, maybe more years. If you can build that foundation of those type of guys and then get the bigger name, like power guys that can, autom- you know, reliably jack it out of the park all the time, whether it's here at home or on the road, then 
you're looking at something. And and that also, like you said, with the prospects and that three-year time frame, let's just, for the benefit of the doubt right now, say it fits into a quote-unquote plan to proceed towards his team future, maybe being, you know, maybe contend, be more of a success, be more winner, which obviously the first five years of this regime has not worked the way they envisioned outside of one blip year. But hey, maybe this is the way to do it a little better, or maybe at least this is a start. I'm going to say that at least this is a start to see where it can go maybe this season. But I think that takes us to the other category that I love the way you labeled it, interesting. And that's going to be the defensive side of the ball because some of these guys aren't bad defenders. They're not great defenders. And in other cases, it's hold your breath time at some position. So how is that part of it going to work? Because, I'm, you know, maybe you're going to score more, but if you're going to give up more because of mistakes, then you're shooting yourself, you're shooting your plan in the foot right away. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, the way it's going right now and the way that Kim Ang is sort of outlined it based off of her interviews with us after each of these moves been made. Garrett Cooper is the primary first baseman. Luis Arise is going to be primarily playing second with the opportunity with the point that he's going to back up Cooper should Cooper need a day off or miss time. And given Cooper's history of seven IL since not including times on the COVID IL in his four years as a starter with the Marlins, we'll probably see some Luis Arise at first base, how the roster is constructed. Uh, so Cooper at first, Arise at second, Joey Wendell at shortstop, Gene Segura at third. So where does that leave Jazz Chisholm? Oh, that's right. He's moving to center field, a move that he, from how it's been described to us, he told the Marlins that he would be willing to move there if they didn't acquire a center fielder during the offseason. And the Marlins are going to experiment with that, which, look, the way I see it, Jazz is athletic enough and has the raw talent and raw, just again, raw athleticism to be able to handle center field. I don't doubt that. What does concern me is a, he's never played the position before, which is fine. You can learn it. You get, you have a month and a half spring training. Plus if he said that he was interested in it, he's probably been doing some shagging in the outfield, but there's also the jazz Chisholm effect of jazz Chisholm. And by that, I mean, a, first off, the injury history, a knee, a back, hamstrings, and just his want right. and desire to make every play a highlight real play and that superstar factor of him. What's going to happen if he tries to make every big play at the wall and try to rob every home run or tries to die forward for every ball that he could just hold in front of him for a single? How is that going to play in yeah. on top of his injury history? Why, why am I getting a flashback to Moneyball when they want to teach the guy how to play first base and the guy, and, and the guy playing Ron Washington? It's like, it's incredibly hard. He's like, okay, we'll teach you. It's all right. I, I'm having that vision right now with Jazz at the center. And uh, you're right. I mean, it's too, yeah, it's from the raw pers- athleticism perspective. Yes. Can you do it? Absolutely. I mean, it's going to be fun to see him track down someone. He does it right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he is a highlight reel in short if he can master that in the open space, especially in that part where it's going to be wide open. But there's a lot of technical intricacies, like with any position, but it happens also in center field. Now, he's been training with Juan Pierre, one of the best to ever do it in that Marlins uniform. But all the offseason training you want with JP is in game situations where the unpredictability factor, nature comes into play when the wind is blowing a certain way out there. And think about it this year more than any other year. 
he's going to see a ton of different ballparks. Let's say he's the start. He's going to see a ton of different ballparks. Because this season, as we know, the division, the overloaded division schedule is going away. And now you're going to play more AL teams. You're going to play in a lot more different places. So he's going to have to be adjusting to those dimensions week in and week out when they're on the road. And then durability, like you mentioned, the injuries and whatnot. I mean, he, he by nature, and on one side, you commend him for that. You know, he's going to play balls out. He's going to go leave it as all. And he plays, he plays almost like a football player, like like puts it all out in the field type of thing. That's fine. But there has to be a little bit of that, that, that smart when to do that, when not to do that. And not just like preserving his own body, but even in the, like you said, in the, what's best in the game situation as far as strategy. Because as we know, anyone who watches baseball, there's times where you make that dive because you better shut that inning down or might be better to maybe pull up, prevent a run, that's that type of thing. You know, specific scenarios will come up. So that's what I'm curious about is how fast and if he masters all of that and can become an everyday center fielder. That's the question. And it's one of the most compelling storylines by far that you're going to see going into spring training is how, how that story develops. Yeah, and if he is able to handle the spot and be the everyday guy, it frees up the Marlins in terms of their outfield. I mean, obviously Garcia was going to be playing right field regardless. Now it moves it from Jesus Sanchez and Brian De La Cruz, one playing left, one playing center. Now you have a chance to platoon both of them at left. Use Sanchez, the lefty, against righties. Use De La Cruz, the righty, against lefties. And it allows Jorge Soler to primarily be your designated hitter, which the hope there is he's not playing on the turf every day. And with him having the back injury from last year as well, you can keep him healthy and keep that power bat in the lineup as often as possible. That frees up that frees up the main issue they've been having defensive alignment-wise over the past few years. So if they can get that part down, it definitely it should help on that front. But another question I'm also figuring out, because you mentioned getting the reps in spring training, Jazz is considering or wants to play for Great Britain during the World Baseball Classic. That's a two-and-a-half-week stretch where if he does play for Great Britain – He's not going to be under the supervision of the Marlins while he's doing that. And would the Marlins potentially say to him, "Hey, we know you want to play for Great Britain, but you have to make they have to you have to make sure you're playing center field for them. You're not playing shortstop for them when you're going to, when we need you to be getting your center field reps." Now again, and is that World, an issue? exactly, right. yeah. So World Baseball Classic rosters don't get finalized till February eighth. The Marlins, when the last time we asked him directly about Jazz with the World Baseball Classic was back at the winter meetings, and her response was they were still figuring things out. Again, because of the injury history from last year, only playing 60 games, not playing after June, the Marlins can go in there and basically say, sorry, with the injury history, once you under our supervision. Well, how that would look from a PR standpoint, telling one of baseball's up-and-coming superstar, overcoming stars that he can't play in the World Baseball Classic. We'll see how that plays out. And it's sort of a similar situation with Sandy with the DR. The Marlins, in a perfect world, would want him with them throughout all of camp. But how do you tell Sandy Alcantara he can't pitch for the Dominican Republic? Which the one bright side for, for Sandy is the DR is playing in Miami. They play in Miami the entire time. So they could still keep eyes on him. Jazz would be out in Phoenix with Great Britain for that first round. So that's cool. another thing to factor in there. Which is not, you know, it's not like he's in the Taiwan bracket or Japan where then he's like, a, you know, literally a world away and it's a little tougher. But he's not in the backyard. 
and, and, and also not only the issue of playing time, but does it make an issue? For, does it create an issue for him? Yeah. Because how bad does he want to play in that? You know, probably maybe it does. Probably does. I don't know. But you don't want to also upset your guy a little bit. And just being real, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. you want to have that clubhouse working as well. Brand new manager with your top most dynamic player content, let's say. Correct. So there's a lot of different little angles to that. So yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. And, and like you said, not just jazz, but um, a few of the other guys that they have on the roster that are in line right now, or at least it would seem to, to, to compete with the countries in, in WBC. Yeah. And with that group, uh, as of right now, based off of the preliminary rosters, there were teams had to submit the roster of 50. They narrowed it down over the next two weeks. Uh, just the quick running list from what I saw for guys on preliminary rosters for the DR, Sandy Alcantara, Gene Segura, and Johnny Cueto are all on their initial 50. Uh, Avicel Garcia and Jesus Lazardo were on Venezuela's initial, as is Pablo Lopez, who is now with the Twins, as we discussed earlier. Uh, I believe Daniel Castano was on for Italy, and I know John Birdie expressed interest. So we'll see where that factors in. And Italy is in the Taiwan bracket. So that would be very interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, Richard Blyer for Israel, who is playing in the Miami pool. And then Jazz, if he's cleared, and uh, prospect Ian Lewis, also fellow Bahamian, are on the initial or the hopeful roster for Great Britain. So that's three, six, seven, eight, potentially ten Marlins players or prospects who could potentially be on that state, the World Baseball Classic stage throughout the month of March. And even some of the guys that are on the developmental side, like Ian Lewis, too. I mean, you're even more kind of monitoring that progress, too, mm -hmm. if you're the organization. You know, you have every, everything at that level is regimented. How much we're going to try this, this, that, etc. Before their season, just because in the minor leagues doesn't mean it's not important right now at that stage of his career. So yeah, and this is this this event. It's like as great as it, as fun as it is. It's interesting. I don't think most people realize what goes into it, how the like the repercussions that it has on the major league clubs. Because really, there's nowhere else to put it. That's the problem. It's like you best of the worst is to have it this time of year but we've talked about this a ton like where when else are you gonna have it? yeah you, know, you could do it after the season but that's when guys are shutting down and trying to you know take a break from or they're going off to play winter ball somewhere so there's really no great place to put it so best case, you know again best of the worst of a bad scenario is to have it you know every few years at this time of year so they make do no in the grand scheme of things the main hope on the marlin side is they don't care what country wins. They just want their guys back healthy. I mean, look back at 2017, Martin Prado. Look at what happened with him yeah. back then. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. Ended his career pretty much. I mean, yeah. I, say, I mean, not, not literally he played again, but for all intents and purposes, he was never the same. And it was just a slow, you know, slow grind down for two years where he missed more than a year and a half time added up, cumulative time added up, and it was never the same. So, yeah, that's and that's the scary part. If you're them and, and, and all the teams that are going to have guys in this thing is you're sitting there holding your breath saying, oh, oh I hope our season doesn't go down the to down the toilet for <laughs> for uh, for, you know, for patriotism and playing in, the, in that, which is, is all nice. But, you know, you also have your investments uh, at risk too, to to a degree. So. Yeah, correct. So we'll see how the rest of this unfolds again. We have about 
three weeks until spring training starts. Uh, pitchers and catchers for teams for players that are going to be in the WBC report a couple days before everybody else. Uh, first day for full pitchers and catcher workout for the Marlins is February 16th. And the first full squad workout is February 21st. World Baseball Classic games, the games being played in America, the Miami pool and the Phoenix pool, those start on March 11th. So about three weeks away from spring training, about a month and a half away from World Baseball Classic. Wow. It's hard to believe it's already we're we're close. Buddy, TikTok, TikTok, it's coming up, man. Yep. And, and um, I think it's gonna be I, I enjoy these every four years and, and well this time longer than four years because of because of COVID and whatnot. But I know it was it was definitely a lot of fun the last time it happened. Got a chance to to cover that and obviously the USA finally, you know, going on the run that it did toward the end of it and standing and former Marlins like that, that that had a chance to be a part of it. So let's see. Let's see how it goes this time. And the like you said, the interesting part is going to be being able to see see it all come to fruition there, not out in San Diego or LA like like it has been in the past. Yeah. Yep. Miami gets its pool, the quarterfinal, a quarterfinal, the semis and the championship. It's gonna be fun to watch. Gonna be interesting bouncing back and forth from Jupiter to Miami. Thankfully I live in Broward, so I'm at that halfway point for for just about everything logistically. Uh, we'll talk a lot more about this over the coming weeks, but for now, that's going to do it. Don't worry, your, 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 your boss lives like five minutes from the ballpark. He'll, 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 he'll be fine. He can, he can handle whatever you need. Yeah, I have also <laughs> DR Venezuela game one, and I believe Puerto Rico DR the last day of pool play. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure that my butt finds its way to the press box at some point. There but you go. with that, but with that, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much, everyone. And we'll be back, either, if not next week, the week, the week after, depending on if anything happens between now and then. Thanks so much.